This is the story of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, kingdom builder, healer. He is the King of glory. He is the resurrecting Savior. They expected a conqueror, but instead they got a servant, crucified and lifted high. And the marks on his hands have just marked for salvation. I've told this story probably a couple times, and uh, it really makes the point well today, so I thought I'd use it. But I took a group from Texas all the way here to Georgia back in the early 2000s for a hiking trip, a backpacking trip on the Appalachian Trail. And I warned the kids both times we came to do this ahead of time, all right, this is serious climbing, okay? This, this takes effort, and you need to pack your bag your backpack as light as possible. And on the, this one particular trip, uh, we were going to have to conquer Blood Mountain. And I know compared to mountains out west, it's a fairly small mountain. It's only 4,000 some feet. But nevertheless, knowing from the map, this thing was going to be a pretty serious climb. Uh, you gain about 14, 1,500 feet in a very short uh, time. And so it was a serious climb. And so I, I just reiterated, keep your pack light. Keep your pack light. And so, uh, White, can you come here and help me real quick for a second? Um, I, I just need to uh, illustrate this, and there's a pack right here on the, on the side. If you can grab that and carry it up here by me um, for uh, just a second. All right, so, so there's one kid, and his name was Ben Sivis, and Ben, thanks man, and, and Ben was, just hang out there with it for a second, and, and Ben uh, was an Eagle Scout, all right? So this guy, he thought he knew, you know, hiking, backpacking. But unfortunately, he did not know what he was getting into. He packed a shovel, an iron shovel, a heavy shovel, not one of these lightweight deals. He had an axe in there. I mean, he packed all kinds of stuff, you know, that maybe you would use on one of his trips for Boy, uh, Boy Scouts trips. But, I mean, this was like days. We were going to be four nights, five days on this trail, the Appalachian Trail. And so this was something you needed to pack light, and, and we we're going to tackle Blood Mountain. Now, this pack does weigh a little bit more than the pack that, he could no longer carry. We divided out the shovel and the axe, and I was left with his pack to carry. I would guess it was in the neighborhood of 35, 40 pounds on top of mine. And so I had to climb blood, the entire Blood Mountain with his pack as well. It, it was a lot of work. It, it was tough, all right? So, so it wasn't as heavy as this. How, that thing's pretty heavy, isn't it? All right, I, I know exactly for, within a pound or two how much this thing weighs. Believe it or not, this thing weighs about 66, 67 pounds, maybe at the most. I have a 50-pound bag of sand in here, a 15-pound dumbbell, and some shirts in the pack. And so I'm going to say 66 pounds or so, all right? So just grab that and lift it up again really, real quick there, all right? So would you want to, even if you could strap it onto your back, would it be pretty hard work to just walk around through this, uh, through this gym during the time of my message, the entire 40 minutes or so? Would that be, would that be tough? It would be tough, wouldn't it? I mean, that thing's not, not an easy thing to handle at all, and even for a big strapping guy like you that has Auburn on his, on his shirt, all right? So, so thank you. Appreciate it, White. Give him a hand, all right? Give him a hand. Did you know Jesus asked his disciples to carry a 66-pound pack? Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus, when he called his disciples, part of the deal was you're going to carry a backpack, a heavy backpack? You may not realize that, and I'm going to explain that to you in a minute. But in this sermon, Jesus calls his first disciples. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark, and today he's going to 
asked the first disciples, the first four, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, to follow him, to be his disciples. And little did they know what they were getting into. By the time that it was all said and done, carrying a 66-pound backpack would have been pretty insignificant to the load they're actually going to carry as a disciple because they all gave their life, made the ultimate sacrifice for their Savior. So keep this in mind. We'll come back to it in a minute. We're going to look at Jesus calling the first disciples. We're looking at Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 20. Now, after Jesus was arrested, or John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the side of Galilee, he saw, oh, Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother, uh, Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And they were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray, and we're going to look at this passage. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you that you have called us and that you have uh, declared us righteous because of Jesus Christ. And as we look and study the life of Jesus, and as we look at discipleship this morning, God, I pray that this will be more than just a story that many of us have heard before, more than just a time in church so we can check it off our list that we attended, God. May it seriously be a time that we can draw closer to you and realize more of the mission that you've called us on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout the, the Gospels, Jesus uses several vivid expressions uh, to signify, to say what it was going to be like to be his disciple. And I think these things are timeless because while you look at the disciples that Jesus is calling here, he's calling these guys to something more than what he's calling us for because he was literally calling them to come with him, hang out with him, and be part of what he was doing on earth 2,000 years ago. Obviously, we don't follow Jesus the exact same way. And so when we look at passages like this, we have to see what is the timeless truth of this passage that we can apply in the day and age that we live in. Three vivid expressions, phrases that Jesus describes his disciples that are universal to us today. He says, deny yourself. He says, take up your cross, and he says, lose your life for my sake. Those are three images throughout the Gospels that we pick up on. And this idea of denying ourselves has this idea of not just, I'm going to sacrifice all my personal belongings, all my stuff, and I'm just going to deny myself, I'm going to live in a monastery and be poor. That's not what deny yourself is about. Denying yourself is saying no to your lordship, meaning I say no to John being Lord and God of his, my life. You saying that no to you being the Lord of your life. And when we mean, what we mean by that is you're refusing to be in charge of your life. You're submitting to Christ. You're submitting to his word. And you're saying, you are telling me what to do and how to live my life through your word. Then he says this idea of taking up your cross. He, def- he tells his followers to consider themselves dead. Consider themselves dead, that you are putting to death all of your earthly hopes and dreams, your plans and agenda, all these things that we plan for ourselves, and we're saying, I'm not doing this or going there or being part of this unless you're behind it, you're in it, 
is for your glory and your honor. And so we're denying ourselves, we're dying to ourselves, and we're being made alive in Christ and what Christ dreams for us and what he hopes for us. And then the final one, lose your life for my sake. And I think the application for us today, although there are many people in this world who risk being a serious martyr for the kingdom of God in certain countries even today, for us it's saying, here's my home, here's my bank account, here's my talents, my gifts, my brain, my heart, my hands, my feet, my mouth. These are yours. Use them for your glory and to further your purposes and your kingdoms on earth, your kingdom on earth. And so deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life. That's the call for discipleship. And right off the bat, we know that that's hard, okay? That's difficult. It doesn't come natural to deny yourself. It doesn't come natural to want to give up your life for God. It doesn't come natural to want to take up your cross and follow because it means a denial of our agenda for the purpose of following Christ's agenda. And some of you may be thinking, and I'm sure not trying to burden extra load on you today through this message, because you may be thinking even of a passage in the Gospels where Jesus said in Matthew, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And that idea of rest sounds really good right now to some of you, me included. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So which is it, Pastor John? Is it a light and easy load, or is it hard and arduous and difficult to be his disciples? Well, a couple of things. What is a yoke? We don't really talk about that today, but a yoke is not the thing in the egg. All right, it's, it's this device that was jo- for joining animals together for labor, for work, and it would be so that they could be hooked together to go in the same direction to accomplish what their purpose was. And so in Matthew, Jesus was comparing joining up with him to do life versus the yoke of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day who wanted to add extra burden on people, more than what God wanted and required. It was basically this idea that You had to earn your righteousness. It promoted self-sufficiency. You had to pull the load. And Jesus said something totally different. He says, you come to me. Join up, connect with me, and I'll give you the power and the strength, and I'll show you the direction where you will go. And here's the thing. Think about the things that stress us and burden us in life. Most of the time, they're not the things of the kingdom. They're the things that we add to life that make life heavy and hard and difficult. It's usually not the stuff of the kingdom. It's the stuff that we put our eyes on or the things that we get called up in. Now, obviously, living in this world, there are some things of the world we have to interact with for the glory of God. But nevertheless, his burden is light. His burden is easier because we're laying up our treasures in heaven, not on earth. We're not getting hooked into the stuff of this earth, but rather we're letting go of that for his kingdom and his glory. And so this idea of the yoke of the Pharisees was this idea of ultimately you have to do it. You have to earn God. You have to try harder. And what do we know through the gospel? It's when we're yoked up with grace, with God's grace, and his grace captures our heart. That's where we find our freedom. That's why, where we find rest. And so the new covenant, which Jesus is initiating, which he's bringing in, 
It does require submission. It requires obedience. And yes, it even requires hard work. But it is a kind of rest in which Jesus supplies the power to submit and obey as we stay connected to Him, as we stay yoked to Him, versus I've got to do this on my own. John 15, abide in me. Abide in me. Stay connected to me. And we talk about this all the time here at Grace. But it's about knowing Christ through relationship with Him, through His Word and through community together around His Word and getting to know Christ. Not some mystical thing like we talked about last week, but it is getting to know Christ through His Word and, and through the wisdom that He provides to help us as we navigate life in our jobs, in our occupations, our marriages. So we have His wisdom on our life to, to, to live this journey, as Mitch used the word, to, for His glory and for His honor. And so we stay connected to Him. And so let's go back to our text now as we have a little bit of background for discipleship. So he says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Last week we saw John was baptizing and saying, repent, turn from your sins. Well, we'll look more about at John the Baptist in chapter 6 that John, John's uh, re, uh, he, his, his story is kind of comes back on the forefront again. But for right now, Jesus is taking center stage. He's taking front and center. John has been moved off the scene and Jesus is his ministry is going to come forth and it's going to be the center of everything from here on out in this gospel. And so what is the message of Jesus? When Jesus came and, and he was on earth and he began to say, spread the gospel, spread the good news, when he sent his disciples out, when he sent the 70 out later on, what was the gospel? What was the good news that they were going and sharing to the people in Judea? What, what, was he, what were they saying? Well, we know that it wasn't Jesus crucified and risen because Jesus had not been crucified and he had not raised again yet. So what is the message? Think about that for a second. I'm asking you. What is that message? You don't have to say out loud, but what was the message that he told his disciples to go out and spread in his ministry? It was this idea of the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel or in the good news. And so... You may be thinking, okay, kingdom, not, not the language that we use in our culture today. Uh, it's been several hundred years since really kings were prominent in our world uh, before our time. And this idea of a kingdom and a realm is kind of foreign to us. But basically, to make it really simple, it's this idea of a kingdom was where the sovereign reign and control of the king resided. And so what he said to be done was done. When he wanted something to happen in his realm, in his reign, this happened. It took place. And so you may be thinking, well, I don't understand. If Jesus said God's kingdom is at hand, hasn't God always been the sovereign ruler of the universe? Hasn't he always been the one who's in control and in charge? Well, Jesus is pointing back to some very vivid Old Testament language, and he knows that the people are longing for the personal visitation of God upon his people, to his people. They were literally longing for a Messiah, God who would come and run out the oppressors to make things right, restore the kingdom of Israel. And so while God has always been sovereign and while he's always been in ultimate control, we know that God allows, because of this broken world, because of sin, he allows evil and injustice. 
while he weaves these things all to be part of his ultimate will, we know that there is still stuff on earth practically that is against God, that is not for God because God can't be for sin. And so this idea of longing for a kingdom where there would be no more sin, no more death, no more destruction, no more injustice, no more poverty. This was what Israel was longing for. No more oppressors, no more Roman soldiers on every corner. And so Jesus came proclaiming the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus was bringing a new opportunity to the people. The kingdom had arrived, the king had arrived to rescue his people. The time was fulfilled. That's, we don't have time to go into this, but that's amazing fulfillment language, prophetic language. The time is fulfilled. In effect, Jesus is saying all of time and all of history have been leading up to this moment and is being, has been prepared by an omnipotent God, the creator of the universe, who stands over time and space, and he has been pointing to this very, very situation where the Messiah, where Jesus would come. The king is here. He's at hand. You can reach out and you can touch the king. He's among you. Christ with us. Amazing. And this idea of kingdom in the Gospels is something that just repeats itself over and over, and over again. 126 times kingdom or some, uh, some idea of the kingdom is mentioned in the Gospels. So God was taking back the world. Jesus was saying God is reclaiming his broken creation. God is taking back his world and restoring it. He's setting things right again. That was the gospel that Jesus was proclaiming through his disciples and through his message. And what that would mean for Israel, like I said, literally, it would mean that the Roman oppressors were gone. That's what the people would have heard. The people would have heard, Rome's out of here. No more oppressors. We're restored to our dignity and former glory of the days of David and Solomon. But was that what Jesus was really saying, or was that what just they wanted to hear because that's what they were expecting? You see, what Jesus was saying was something totally different, and we get a lot of clues of that. In fact, it's, it's taught very clearly in Matthew, in chapter 5, verse, uh, chapter 5 through 7, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, here's the ethics of the kingdom. Here is what the kingdom is about. And it was quite upside down from what they expected, right? In fact, very practically... All right, instead of run those Romans out of here, they're taxing us to death. You know, they're, they're just treating our temple as if it was their own personal property to de- degrade and treat in a, in a disrespectful manner. Caesar, he's oppressive, and the people he's putting in power are oppressive. And Jesus says, okay, you see that Roman soldier over there? You see him? You see him? Okay. See that bag he's carrying? Roman soldier's bags. History tells us weighed about 66 pounds, this bag right here. And Jesus said, you see that Roman soldier? He has the legal right. Rome has given him the legal right. If he wants to, he can say, hey, come here. Hey, Israelite, carry my bag for a mile. Carry it. You had no no choice. If you wanted to get beaten, you could say no. Thrown in prison, you could say no. But otherwise, you came and you picked up that bag and you carried it for one mile for for that soldier. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, okay, not one mile. I want you to grab this bag, this 66-pound bag, and I want you to carry it not just one mile. I want you to carry it two miles. Seriously? You know, I I didn't want to carry that dude's backpack up Blood Mountain. 
we don't respond very well. I mean, in theory, we respond really well, me included, to what the gospel calls us to do. But in reality, we say, this is terrible. This thing's actually really heavy, all right? 66 pounds. I mean, to lug this thing around for one mile, I've done my service. You can't say anything else to me now. I'm done. And Jesus says, no. You tell the Roman guard, sir, do you mind? I know I've filled my obligation for one mile. Do you mind if I, I carried an extra mile? Soldier looks at you and says, what? Are you crazy? Why in the world would you carry my bag an extra mile? Jesus told me to. Jesus asked me to. Let me ask you this. Would that soldier listen a little differently than he would that first mile? You see, the first mile, no choice. Second mile, you won an audience. You won the right to speak. You see, the second mile is where the gospel is both seen and heard. The second mile is where the gospel is both seen and heard. And I thought about this. I'm walking along. I'm going to my basketball game. I'm in a hurry because I'm running late. And the soldier says, hey, hey, you. Come here. Oh, man. What? Yes, sir. I need you to carry my bag. Come on. Carry my bag. All right? So I grab the bag, carry it one mile. During that one mile, I'm like, Jesus told me to carry it again. Another mile. I'm really going to be late. That's what he asked me to do. Sir, can I, do you mind if I carry it one more mile? Why? Weren't you in a hurry? I was in a hurry. But, I, but Jesus asked me to do this. Okay, whatever. Carry it a second mile. Lay it down. See you. What I have to do now? Now I have to go back two more miles to get where I was going, plus the distance I was headed to get where I was going. How much time did that cost me? Four miles. Two out, two back, wherever I was going. You see, Jesus literally asked Matthew 5.41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. That gets really tough, doesn't it? That gets really hard, doesn't it? Because I'm inconvenienced. I don't want to do that. It's hard. It's difficult. It's heavy. But what's my purpose? Deny myself, take up my cross, and follow. Now, I don't know how this always really works out in our world today. I mean, if you're going to work and you're going to get fired, if you stop and help somebody, all right, you probably should go on to work and not stop and help the guy, probably in most cases. But you have to apply godly wisdom to these situations. But one thing I do know is that much more likely I'm maybe the, carry the first mile and then like you're on your own. I'm not going to empower, entitle you, get, make you feel entitled to this. Sometimes I do carry it the extra mile, but you know, and then I complain the rest of the way back in my mind. We're like, okay, I did it, God, but you know, it, it really was terrible. It's, it, my back hurts. I feel awful. All right, you know, I'm late. Thanks, God, for commanding me to do that. Doing it all for the glory of God. There's where it gets tough. And that's where abiding in Christ, being connected to the vine, Abiding in Christ is our only hope there. Do I get it right? 
Not most of the time. You? Probably not either. But that's what God has called us to do. So discipleship is tough. Where do you need to, honestly, carry the extra mile? Who do you need to influence for the gospel that you know you need to just die to yourself? Somebody at work? Do you need to live the gospel in your K-group community just to show Christ, set the example, be the mature one? How about loving your enemy by going the extra mile? In your marriage, do you need to go the extra mile? Do you need to say, you know, most of the time I want to be right, I want it my way, but you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go the extra mile here and refuse to get sucked into this. We all can apply this in so many different ways and areas of our life because we don't. It goes against everything we're about because it's sacrificial. It's costly. It's difficult. And so Jesus, as he calls the first citizens of his kingdom, he's saying the kingdom's here. Now I need some people to join me in this kingdom. And so I'm going to call some citizens of the kingdom. And he begins to form his new people group. And he begins to reach out. And we see in 16 through 20 that he reaches out to these four fishermen. And he says, follow me. Guys. Come, come follow me. And sure, they probably had heard of this young teacher. They would have known him as Yeshua, Jesus. They'd heard his name probably mentioned. He was kind of new on the scenes, but he was a new teacher and around 30 years old, young guy, so to speak, right? Unless you're 20 or 18 and you're in this old guy, right? But 30 is young to me, and this young guy, rabbi, teaching, doing amazing stuff, miracles, coming on the scene. And, the, and he invites them. He says, guys, come on. I want you to leave behind your occupations, Leave behind your job, leave behind your dad in the boat, and follow after me. Come after me. You know, I don't know if you can make, if use your imagination here to make this story come to life because you've heard it maybe before, many times, some of you, Sunday school class, little kid. But I was thinking, um, one of the guys who I meet with, the last couple of weeks, we decided instead of going and, uh, to just have our normal discipleship meeting where we normally have it at, um, when Ray Dash was here, I asked Ray, I said, what do you think if we go down to, had our Bible study down on King's Corner right there at the dry cleaners, or the laundromat, sorry, the laundromat, what if we just went in there with no agenda other than just we open our Bibles and we just have our, what we normally would do other places, we do it right there, and Ray said, that's a great idea, just, just, just become a regular, be part of that community, and let people see you, and so the last few weeks, we've gone down there, and we just sat there, and we've had our Bible study in the, the laundromat right there at King's Corner at Sims and um, Martin Luther King Drive. And I thought, both times I was there, I thought, what if I just walked in and said, okay, I didn't do this, by the way, okay, I need all of you to follow Jesus, okay? We're here just to tell you, follow Jesus, all right? It's, it's going to be tough, it's going to be difficult, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot, but it's going to be awesome, follow Jesus, all right? Come on, over here. You know, how many takers would we get? Nobody. They would look at me like, hey, you're crazy. Or what if I said, follow me. Come on, follow me, and I'm going to teach you. You know, it's hard to put ourselves in this situation, literally, that Jesus walks up to these strangers, these guys, and he says, follow me. And they just drop all their livelihood, the dad, family business, and they just start following Jesus, literally. Like living with Jesus, following Jesus around the countryside. 
What does that show you? I mean, Jesus had amazing authority, did he not? Obviously, this was part of God's master plan, so these guys were going to say yes, right? I mean, they were going to be part of his, his 12, his inner circle. But they follow him. They just, they just respond and they follow. And you see that these just very average common guys, not from the ruling class, not from the powerful class, just, just regular guys who smell like fish, they just started following Jesus. And so be, being a disciple of Jesus means submitting to the authority of Jesus. Submitting to the authority of Jesus. That's timeless. All right? It may not be, you know, hey, come on, go and go over to this far-off country or Costa Rica or African Bible College. It may not be there. But it's definitely submitting to the authority of Jesus. And it's letting go of the authority, the hardest part, letting go of the authority over our own lives, that lordship over our own lives, and saying, I'm willing to follow you. And so he asks these fishermen to submit to him, and then... Verse 20, he tells that, uh, James and John to literally leave their dad sitting in the boat with the hired servants and follow him. And so, wow, it's crazy. So the vast majority of the people, even in the first century, they didn't have to leave their families and their homes and their livelihoods to follow Christ. We know that. We know that even, like I mentioned earlier, he had a group of 70. And as far as we know, they didn't just abandon everything to follow him around. It doesn't mean you're homeless and poor like the 12. But it does mean looking at King Jesus and saying, I trust you and I'm going to abandon any and all dreams which don't include you. I'm going to abandon all and any dreams that don't include you. And I'm going to follow you. You know, maybe you're sitting here and this concept of following Jesus is foreign to you because you literally don't know Jesus at all. Like you come to church maybe a few times here and there, you've heard the gospel story, but you don't know what the draw is to this Jesus guy that we're studying for weeks because you've never come into a relationship with him in the first place. That scripture tells us, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned, you've fallen short of the glory of God. Here's this God, incredible, holy, creator of all things. And you've fallen short because of your sin. You've fallen short of the glory of God. We all have, and Scripture tells us later on in that book, the wages of sin is death. And by death, that means eternal death, eternal separation. Because of our sin, which was such an offense to God, we should expect eternal death because of our sin. Eternal separation from the King of Kings. But the amazing truth is, Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. The death penalty that should have been on you and me, Jesus took in our place. And if you're a church insider, you've heard this over and over again, but don't miss it. Because not only did Jesus call you to believe this, he called you to tell it, to know it, to tell it, to let other people know the good news of the gospel. So Christ died for that. And scripture says in Romans 10.3, or I'm sorry, 10.9, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, say we'll be saved. We'll be saved. 
That's the gospel. That's the beginning steps of following Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It starts there. That's the first submission to him. And I say this all the time, but I think in our culture, we've stopped there with the gospel. Sure, it's a gospel of grace. We can't say that enough. We named our church that. We know it's grace. It's all God. Nothing tacked onto it. But there has to be a recognition of who Jesus is before we can put him, accept him into our lives. All right? It's not just, I want your heaven, but I don't want you. It it's all comes together in this package. Is, while we may be a, a terrible follower of Jesus, we're still a follower of Jesus. You may have your ups and downs. You may go two steps forward, one step back constantly, but you're still a follower of Jesus because you understand who he is. You understand his lordship. And you don't have to look any further than these disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and see these are the rawest of raw material, right? I mean, these guys were the roughest of the rough, and even throughout the Gospels, you see them just all over the place, particularly Peter. I mean, he's just making a mess. He denies Christ. They fall back. They relearn. They stumble again. Look, they learned by sitting right there with the master himself around the campfire, eating some fish and talking over the stuff of the kingdom. Yet, he still denied Christ. Look, don't think you have to have it all together to be a disciple. Don't think, when I get my act together, then I'll start following Jesus. See, you missed the point. One is you'll never get your act together. Never get your act together. And two, you're buying into the yoke of the Pharisees, which says self-sufficiency. you got to get there. you got to earn it. You connect yourself to grace. You just connect yourself to Christ. And in that, you let Christ be the leader of your life because you're connected to him. Now, how can you not if you're connected to him, to yoke to him? So Jesus... Trust him. He'll help you mature. He'll help you grow. You stay connected. And he'll take care of the rest. He'll empower you. And then Jesus, in verse 17, he tells them the plan. He says, look, follow me, guys. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You know, I love that, right? Jesus just took their occupation. You know, what if, you, know you come to Brian, he said, I'm going to make you painters of men, right? All right? And, and, or come to Dallas, I'm going to make you a teacher of men. You know, he just, he, he, picks, he picks these guys out what they're doing. He makes it very applicable, and he says, look, here's what you're going to do, all right? You're, you're going to, to just take your occupation, and, and we're going to take it, and we're going to revamp it a little bit here, and you're just going to use it in a different way for spiritual purposes and spiritual means. And, and, and I'm sure at this point they had no clue what Jesus was asking them, of them. Fishers of men, what? What's that about, right? I mean, we see later on in Mark I'll give you a little bit of a, of a, of a view further down the road here. We're in chapter 9, and they're walking along the road with Jesus. Teachable moment. He's already taught them a bunch of parables at this point. And he's teaching them, and he's saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they're going to kill him. And when, and when he is killed, after three days, he will rise, all right? And, and, and it says in verse 32, but they do not understand what he's saying, and they were afraid to ask him, what? We don't, we don't get that. We don't, you're the Messiah. You're the King you're come to set up your kingdom and rule and reign and run these Romans out. And, and it's going to be awesome because we got in early on this thing and we're going to be in charge and control as well. We're going to have thrones and we're going to be powerful. But look, verse 33, when they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing 
while we were walking along the road. What, what were y'all talking about? He knew. But they kept silent. For on the way, they'd argued with one another about who was the greatest. Who's the greatest? Peter? It's me, Peter. Peter says, I, of course I am. I'm the most outspoken. I'm the loudest. John's over there, and he's like, I'm the meekest, you know. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to be the, the greatest. Andrew... These guys are fighting among themselves because they didn't get it. They did not get it. That's the kingdom they thought was going to happen. And it's the same thing that we do, even though it may not be as blunt. Jesus, he could call us out in the same way if he was right here. We're just little sovereigns wanting to set up our little mini kingdoms. I mean, our prayer is we may pray your will be done, but it's like, our God, our will be done. Our kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because we know the way we're naturally wired is we want we we want we want what feels good, what seems right, we want our way. And that shows us, if we're honest with ourselves, that we don't really want to follow Jesus. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. So in your marriage with your boss, with that guy at work who's so obnoxious and annoying. Can Jesus be the Lord and leader of your life in those situations? Or is it just on Sunday at church when we sing songs and we lift our hands and say, man, that's awesome, that's exciting. And it is great that we're here together and we join together. But you know what? This is lived out in the mundane, difficult, laborious, laborious efforts of life. It's lived out with the guy who says, carry my pack for a mile. He's like, that's the last thing I want to do. This thing really, really is heavy. But I'm going to carry it another mile because Jesus asked me to, and it's no fun, and I'm sure that I'm going to fill it tomorrow. But I'm going to do it because Jesus asked me to do it. And now I'm going to go back, and while I'm going back, while my thoughts may be tempted to complain, I'm going to choose to find joy because I glorify God by doing what he asked me to do. And great is your reward in heaven, Jesus said. For so persecuted they, the prophets who were before you. And you win an audience, you're able to give the message by carrying the extra mile. You know that passage in Mark 9 where Jesus said they just didn't get it? They were arguing among themselves. He goes on to say, verse 35, If anyone would be first, he must be last and the servant of all. You see a theme here with Jesus? First shall be last, servant of all. In his kingdom, it's upside down from what they're thinking. It's not a kingdom of prominence, importance, fame, glory. It's a kingdom of serving and dying to yourself, taking up your cross and following him. So follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. These first century fishermen had a different concept of fishing than, than what we would have, right? They took nets, they put them outside the boat, the boat went along, they drugged these nets, then they pulled the nets into the boat, they saw what fish they caught, and then what they did after that, they took the few fish out they caught, they threw the net over again, they went further, they pulled it back in, they laid the fish down, they threw it back in, they did it again and again and again, night after night, all night, night after night. That 
was fishing. And also, just like in this passage, we saw these guys repairing their nets. They had to do that a lot as well. What do we learn from that? Fishing for men requires repetition. It requires effort. It requires just doing the same things again and again, being faithful time and time and time again. Time-consuming and frustrating. But you just stay faithful. Stay faithful at work. It's going to drop the net. Yes, I screwed up yesterday. Forget what was behind, pressing toward what was ahead. I trust God's sovereignty and His grace that He can help me recover from the fool I made of myself yesterday and allow me to show God's glory today because He's taking care of this. I'm just casting my net over and over and over again. So this is a process Jesus was referring to. It was difficult. It was laborious. But it's full of joy. Why do I say it's full of joy? How can carrying a 66-pound bag Casting your net again and again. How can that stuff be full of joy? Honestly, how can it be full of joy? It's full of joy because we remember that we're loved and accepted by God because of Jesus. You see, we're so used to the gospel that doesn't wow you or I anymore. The fact that the God and creator of this universe who hates sin sent Jesus And if you put your faith in Jesus, he's declared you righteous, fully loved, fully accepted with him for eternity. And so regardless of the the, the pain and the struggle and the difficulty that you're feeling at the moment, you say, I'm loved and accepted by the Father. That God looks at me and he doesn't see the awful things that I do and have done. He sees Jesus Christ in his righteousness alone. And in that, I'm able to bring glory to God because one, I know that God has a future in eternity awaiting me. But also, that I can know God, that I can stand before Him, that I can say, God, you're my Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here, as it is in heaven. You rule and reign in my life. You see, Jesus said the kingdom is at hand, and the kingdom was coming, but we know the, the kingdom won't fully come until Jesus returns, but the king is going to return. And we sang about it earlier. And while we wait for the king to return again, we obey the king. We live by the king's ethics. We do what the king commanded us. We drop our nets. We carry the bag. We trust him. And we live our lives for the glory of the Father just like Jesus did. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. You may be in that, that situation there. You may be like, I, I just don't know. I, I, you know I, I don't know what I'm getting into here. I want to follow Jesus. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. That's, all, that's what it's ultimately all about. It's saying, I give you my life. I trust what you did on my behalf. I want to be loved and known by the Father. I want to be accepted. And I know I don't measure up. I can never, ever do enough to measure up. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. So, are we going to carry the bag for a mile and complain? We're going to carry the second mile and win an audience, share Christ, be heard, maybe not get a decision, but we're going to drop the net again and again and again. 
we're going to forget behind what's behind, the mistakes, the hurt, the pain, the horrible decisions we've made, the bad situations we put ourselves into, and we say, I'm not going to be defined by that because the Father loves me. He sees Jesus. I'm going to walk in him, live for him, follow him, be his disciple. Let's pray. Father God, we, we don't like it really that well when things get real practical because we, we really would not want to carry somebody's bag. We would not want the pain and the suffering that would be involved in just obeying you and literally doing what you told us to do. And God, I pray that you will help us to see that our faith is not ethereal, it's not up in the sky. Our faith lives itself out in shoe leather just every day on the ground, at our work, in our homes, in every situation we come to, into. And God, we, we admit, I admit that I fall so often on my face. I don't always get it right. And I thank you for your grace and your redemption. Thank you for Jesus, that I don't have to earn getting your approval back. I don't have to do things and then you, you accept me back. But God, through Jesus, I'm fully loved and fully accepted. And God, I pray you'll help us to walk in that, to stay connected to you and realize that you are a power. God, for those who are struggling in here, that those who don't know you, they've never confessed Jesus with their mouth and believed in their heart. God, even right now, they will do that. They'll respond to that. And God, for those who have been pretty much living for themselves and not denying themselves, taking up their cross, and they're not staying connected to you for that power, God, I pray that they will begin to connect themselves to you and, and accept your invitation. And God, we love you. And I just want to just say that if there is anyone in here today who has never, ever put your faith and trust in Christ, that's not something you have to come down to an altar to do. That's not something that you have to stand up in the middle and announce out. It's something you do in your heart. You believe in your heart who Jesus is and what he's done. But then you do confess that with your mouth. And there's people here, Mitch Escobar, myself, or the pastoral staff, or our elders, the people that took up the offering, they're here that you can come and talk to and just say, hey, today I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Can you help me become a better disciple? And we'll make sure we connect you to the right person to do that. It'd be a tragedy to hear a gospel message and walk out here today and not respond to that message. So I pray you'll do that today. And God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. In his name we pray.